The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Open Ecclesiastes. We're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 15 through 29 this afternoon. Ecclesiastes 7, beginning in verse 15, let's give our attention now as God Himself addresses us as people through His Word. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does, not, who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets, and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. This concludes the reading of God's word. May God now be pleased at his blessing to it. Well, what we have in our passage today, besides if you just read it on the surface and have no idea what it's talking about, which was which is the case when I first read this. But upon studying, one of the things you find is that uh, this is the top way that man attempts to escape the curse. It is by his own righteousness and wisdom that he tries to escape the curse. And since all humans are made in the image of God, we have this inner nagger. Something that nags at us, and it's called the conscience. The conscience is part of the makeup of man. It's this internal warning system that alerts us to what behavior deserves judgment. Now, of course, it is fallen, and man, to one degree or another, ignores his conscience, hardens his heart, compares himself to others, justifies himself, lies to himself about his lack of righteousness, so forth and so on. But it still functions clearly and strongly enough that man is seeking to acquit 
his conscience. Man knows that judgment is coming, and he's seeking to forget about it, acquit his conscience, find some way to escape it. This is why, as we read in Hebrews 2, that Jesus delivers those who trust in him from fear of death that has led to lifelong slavery. It's actually a common thing. And this is why perverse sinners are on such a strong quest to get their sin socially approved to the point that they get hostile and strike back if you don't. It's this conscience that is going off. And this conscience testifies that we need righteousness and wisdom in order to escape judgment, in order to escape the curse. This is past spring. Ellen DeGeneres posted on her social media account a, a video of this flood behind her house in California. It's this raging flood. And she said, we, we need to do better and we need to be nicer. Basically, we need to be more righteous because, quote unquote, Mother Nature is really angry and basically judging us. And even though, of course, it's, it's not Mother Nature, there's still a sense of, huh, this is bad. This is judgment. And we need to do better righteousness in order to deal with this. And so man knows this. But what they fervently deny is their ability to escape judgment and the curse with their own righteousness and wisdom. They, need, they know they need righteousness, but they don't know, apart from the gospel, apart, and apart from God granting faith to receive it, that it's the righteousness they receive as a free gift to Escape it. And this is where the passage in Ecclesiastes comes in. Solomon sets the record straight by saying, Let me show you why your righteousness and your wisdom fail to deliver you from the judgment to come from this vain world. And it leaves us hanging again. That's why when we read the rest of Scripture, we realize there is a righteousness, there is a wisdom provided for us as a free gift. In Christ. So, four reasons why our righteousness and wisdom are a vain hope for deliverance. First is lacking a fair outcome. Second, lacking in righteousness. Third, lacking in wisdom. And fourth, just to drive home the point, lacking in righteousness and wisdom. So, first, lacking a fair outcome. Verse 15 In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. So Solomon continues to report on his study of this vain life. He says he has seen everything, which is just a hyperbole for saying, I have seen enough to have an accurate evaluation. And I have seen this. One of the vanities is a righteous man perishing, perishing in his righteousness, while a wicked man prolongs his life while doing evil. And this sets the context of the passage in the remaining verses in this chapter. It's talking about perishing, about death. Regardless of whether or not one is righteous or wicked. And Solomon starts out by revealing the opposite of the way it should be. A righteous man gets death while a wicked man prolongs his life. And the underlining issue here is well, how do I escape death? How do I prolong my life? And Solomon goes, well, this righteous man, you would think, your conscience says this, 
yeah, he, he, he dies young. And a wicked man, he just prolongs his life. And that gets us thinking, okay, well then, what's the answer? But this reveals that our righteousness is a vain hope for deliverance. You could still perish and not prolong your life even if you are righteous. A righteous man here refers to one who's relatively righteous in society, a relative to man and not God in comparison to others. He's not, uh, he, he's not a criminal. He's not a menace to society. He's, he's outwardly good, but he dies before his time. We have a saying, only the good die young. And that's what Solomon is getting at here. Meanwhile, this wicked man, a relatively evil in society, a criminal, a menace, he prolongs his life in his evil doing. In other words, things happen backwards from what we would expect. And even Proverbs, Proverbs 10.27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be cut short. Of course, this is a general truth. That's the way it should be. But Solomon says here, it's not always that way. And so Solomon concludes something rather shocking from this verse. Or, or from this, verse 16. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Now, if you weren't reading this, would you think that this came from the Bible? What context have you ever heard, now don't be too righteous, don't be too wise? You know, this is one of those verses where we go, well, wait a minute, did I read that right? At first it kind of sounds pagan, right? It kind of sounds maybe even blasphemous. But key words here, do not be overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. But that still brings up a question, right? Uh, how, is, is, is our problem really, I might be too righteous? Is our problem, I, I might be too wise here? No, it's, the, the, our issue is we're not righteous enough. We're not wise enough. We lack in righteousness. We lack in wisdom. So what is Solomon doing here? Well, again, given the context, what we just read in verse 15, that righteous, being righteous and wise does not deliver us, he's addressing the notion that the more righteous and wise we attempt to be, the more blessed we will be. The more we will prolong our life, the more we'll have a chance to escape death and the curse. And this is really what's behind a pharisaical way of thinking. Uh, the Pharisees, they strained after a gnat. They tithed mint, rue, and every herb. And Paul, he admitted, I was zealous. As to uh, zeal, a Pharisee. Hebrew of Hebrews. But he admitted there in, in Philippians 3 that he was doing it because he was putting his confidence in his own righteousness. He thought it was gain. What I had counted gain, goes on to say, I have counted loss. And this is why we do these things today. It usually involves taking on otherwise as something that's, that's otherwise a good thing and being all about it, magnifying it, adding a bunch of man-made methods and rules to it. And usually whole movements flow from it, from a particular guru or, or leader. Say, if you really want to be blessed, if you really want to escape this world and the curse, then this is exactly how you should structure your family, discipline your children, follow this plan, 
and your family and your children will escape evil. Or make these promises for purity. Follow the purity culture movement and you will be blessed with a long and happy marriage. This is specifically how women should dress. This is the only way if you want to be truly holy. And of course, a stable family that follows God's design, purity and modesty are all good and biblical things. But this is taking it and going beyond what is written. Because whether or not somebody wears pants or only dresses does not add to somebody's righteousness before God. And it does not guarantee your blessing or success. So a lot of movements and a lot of legalism would be avoided if this verse here was just taken to heart. Because it is an attempt to be righteous enough, overly righteous, in order to escape things of the curse. He says by doing these legalistic things, being overly righteous and too wise, exceeding the bounds of God's law, going beyond what is written, leads to destroying yourself. Notice how he says at the end here, why should you destroy yourself by doing these things? In other words, you're going to burn yourself out on these things because they will only weigh you down and add burdens that no one could bear, and they're not going to deliver the promised results. In fact, legalism leads to a lot of misery. Just ask anyone who's been involved in some of these legalistic movements. Now, on the other hand, Solomon does not suggest you just throw off restraints and just live it up. Because verse 17, he says, Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? So don't dive into sin. So on the one hand, don't be overly righteous. On the other hand, don't be overly wicked. Why should you die before your time if you're a fool? You may not face the consequences, but you can expect that if you are acting a fool. Rather, Solomon says in verse 18, it is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. And basically what he's saying here is that we need to take hold of this. So what he's saying, we need to grasp it. Don't withhold your hand from grasping and taking hold of what I'm saying here. That our attempts at being overly righteous will not save us from the curse. And neither should we dive into sin. Rather, he says, just fear God. Stand in awe of Him. Hope in Him. Depend in him, on Him. And you will come out from both of them, which is better translated as, you will succeed either way or win through all events. So any attempts to add to righteousness to deliver ourselves from the curse is a vain hope. There's another reason why it's a vain hope, and that is because we're lacking in righteousness. Verse 20, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sin. So this is Solomon's version of all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Probably one of those verses you remembered at one of your memory verses uh, as it pertained to the category of all are sinners. Well, here it is. This alone is enough reason to not trust in your own righteousness or or seek to establish a righteousness of your own. And then Solomon gives an example to seek to convince us of this. Verses 21 through 22. 
He says, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. And I think taking this advice actually also saved us a lot of grief and heartache, being so concerned about what others say about us. But this is actually a brilliant example used to convince us of our own lack of righteous, to convince us that we are not righteous, good, and without sin, as he just got done saying. Because, as James says, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. We know that we ourselves have said evil things about others. But in this brilliant example, Solomon starts out with the tongue being used against us. And this reveals how much we care about this stuff. How much we want to be justified. How much we care about what people think. Whether or not they're judging us as righteous. We're looking for their acquittal and their approval. And this is why we take it to heart and find it so important. But Solomon says don't do this because you are going to have a really hard time when you hear somebody close to you, like your servant, curse you. But Solomon reminds us that we have done the same. While we want every word about us to justify us, show us to be righteous and good, we often speak evil of others and are quick to find fault in others while blind to our own sin. This reveals both our self-righteousness and our hypocritical unrighteousness. So because all are lacking in righteousness, it is a vain hope to put trust in our own righteousness. This is also the case when it comes to our own wisdom, which leads to the third reason why our righteousness and wisdom are a vain hope. And that is, not only are we lacking in righteousness, as we just saw, third, we're also lacking in wisdom. First, Solomon begins with the value of wisdom in verse 19. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. A ten rulers in a city would be strong and secure and stout. But greater than that, is one wise man. Because wisdom takes that which it knows and knows how to best apply it and use things. It's skill and application. And this is what is needed when it comes to righteousness. We can hear God's law, the standard of righteousness, but how do you apply it in a particular situation? So, for one example, one of the, the ways that this comes up is the fourth commandment, the Sabbath. Okay, I know, you know, keep the Sabbath holy, but how do I apply it in this particular situation? You know, am I breaking the Sabbath if I, if I do this or, or that? Well, you need wisdom to know how to apply it. Wisdom is needed for righteousness because it, because it is knowing how to apply God's law. And this is why both Adams, both the first Adam and the second Adam, were tested in their righteousness by having to make a decision to discern between good and evil. As Satan came to the first Adam, did God say blah, 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 and they decided against God's word and went with the serpent. But then Jesus comes, and he rightly interprets things. He rightly sees through the craftiness of Satan and is able to apply God's law. That's wisdom 
So wisdom is required for righteousness and, and therefore deliverance from the curse. But then Solomon, the wisest man on earth, by the way, says this about obtaining wisdom in verses 23 through 24. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? So Solomon, recognizing the value of wisdom, as stated in verse 19, says, I'll be wise. Wisdom's a good thing. I will be wise. But he found that it was far from him. It was too far off. It was very deep. Who can find it out? It was beyond his reach. If this is the case for the person named the wisest man on earth, then what hope do we have? This means that gaining wisdom ourselves to deliver us from the curse is vain. Now, fourth and final reason why our righteousness and wisdom are a vain hope is because, just to be redundant and drive home the point, we are lacking in wisdom and righteousness. Verse 25, I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. So he says, I, I look for wisdom, but it's too far, so I'm now going to examine foolishness. And this is what he found with regards to foolishness in verse 26. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. So this echoes Lady Folly from Proverbs, which is represented by a sexually immoral, adulterous woman. But it should get our attention when Solomon says, here's something worse than death. Because this whole thing is about, well, how do I escape death? If my righteousness doesn't guarantee that, how do I escape it? Here's something worse, and that is being ensnared by sin. In this case, it is the sexually immoral woman who is a snare. It's not the woman herself, even though she is fully culpable for her sin in the matter, but the heart that longs for the immorality she offers. It is a heart that desires sin and gets entrapped by it, gets trapped by folly. And this is why it's the sinner who is taken by her but the one who pleases God, who escapes her. But the sinner is overcome and ensnared by sin. Sin is enslaving. and We do not have the power in and of ourselves to bring ourselves out of it. We by nature are captives of the curse and sin. See in verses 27 through 28, Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. So again, he's talking about this quest to find deliverance from death and the curse. That's the context. Adding one thing to another, examining one thing after another in this study, exhausting all his options. And he says, this is, the, this is the findings of my study. Only one man in a thousand, but no woman. One man in a thousand is an idiom for one man out of everyone. A thousand is figurative for all. See that in Job, for example. So he found only one man, but no woman. 
Now, what does this mean? What's he talking about here? Well, this is not going to make any sense unless we again remember the context in which he's speaking it. As we have seen, it's escaping death by righteousness and wisdom, which he starts out by saying in verse 15, that's a futile effort. And so he hasn't found anyone who has done this except for one man and no woman. And who is the man that escaped death? Well, the only man up to Solomon's time who escaped it was Enoch in Genesis 5. In Genesis 5, it's, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. But except for one man, he didn't die. He was taken by God. And that makes you go, hmm, there's a man who escaped death, who was taken up by God. I wonder what that means. I wonder what that's referring to. Who could that be pointing to? We'll just keep scratching our heads. And then read in verse 29, see, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought after many schemes. So why has no one except for this one man, whoever he may be, escaped death? Well, because you need perfect righteousness and wisdom to not be subject to death and the curse. The soul that sins will die. And God made man upright. So it's not God's fault. God made man, and I, we need to remember this is, is reformed people. God made man with a true freedom. A true creaturely freedom. Not the same as God's freedom, where, where you know God can do all that he pleases, but a finite freedom. Where man had the possibility of continuing in righteousness and being confirmed in righteousness or falling into sin. Uh, this is not a defect. This is a true human freedom. Having true freedom of will as being made in the image of God. Now, after man fell into sin, man's in bondage to his sin. There's no just exercise your free will to get out of it. You know, you're a slave to sin at that point. And you must be rescued by God. But man has a true freedom being made in the image of God. However, however, man is the one who has sought out many schemes, evil schemes, going after sin, establishing his own ways apart from God. And so this is why man is in the mess he is in. And therefore, no man is able to deliver himself by his own righteousness and wisdom. It is too far from him, and there is no one righteous. And that's what we're left with. But there's still a nagging question where he says, I have found one man who has escaped this. I wonder who that man could be, is what we're left with. And thankfully, the rest of the Bible answers that. And I think we all know. The answer, there is truly one man out of a thousand, one man out of everyone. And that man is our Lord Jesus Christ. It's because he lived a perfect life of righteousness. It's because he was perfectly wise, even in being tempted by the devil and making right decisions in, de in deciding between good and evil. And perfectly living in accordance with God's law, rightly applying it. And therefore, he provides all the righteousness and wisdom that we need to escape death 
to escape the curse, to stand before God forever. We contribute nothing to this. And this is why 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that Christ became to us what? Wisdom from God and righteousness. We have all that we need in Him. And all we simply do is trust Him for it. Believe that He alone did it while we rest in His perfect righteousness and wisdom without getting concerned, oh, it might not be enough, I need to do something. No, rather we get credit for that perfect righteousness it is counted as ours as a, as a free gift through faith and we simply just take out our hand and take hold of it. And therefore we inherit the blessing of eternal life free from the curse on the basis of it. And Christ gets credit for our unrighteousness, for our foolishness, and He takes the fall for it. He is the man who, He is the righteous man who perished in His righteousness. And we are the wicked who get a prolonged life, even eternal life, through His perfect righteousness. And so, beloved, we dare not trust in our own righteousness or wisdom. We don't try to pursue righteousness in order to be delivered from God's curse, in order to stand before Him righteous. We don't work really hard at reforming ourselves through our own wisdom, 12 steps to live righteously so that we may stand. We are unable to in our own righteousness. We are unable to in our own wisdom to conquer sin, death, and the devil. We trust in this one man out of a thousand, this one man who has achieved it for us, and we rest in him alone. And it is from faith in Christ, believing that we are freed from the curse and loved by him, that we then escape the corruption of Lady Folly, the schemes of this world and the devil, and begin to make small beginnings in walking in righteousness and wisdom by the power of the Spirit that He has freely given us. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, if we were left to our own righteousness and wisdom, we would not stand. But you have given your Son, who became to us righteousness and wisdom. We rest in Him. He is the One. And so we ask that you would help us and you would give us faith to believe and help our unbelief. And from that faith, to walk in this righteousness, to escape the corruption of falling. To please you for your name's sake. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.